Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. Hey, my name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us. Listen, if you're a first-time guest with us, such an honor to have you joining us in person or online. Genuinely glad you guys are here. Man, I've been praying over you all week, so anticipating all that God wants to do today. And listen, no matter where you're walking in on your spiritual journey today, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Our desire is to meet you where you are, help you take next steps in whatever way that looks that's helpful to you. By the way, that little Boko Cider event that uh, Fitz was talking about, uh, he, he forgot to mention what I assume to be the most important part, and that is that the first drink is on the house. Come on, because of your radical generosity, uh, we, we get to, uh, to love and serve our community. And so um, this is a great evening just to invite your friends. Thanks again, Fitz, for, for chatting about it and letting us know. So uh, website, Facebook events, Instagram, all that stuff is, is available for you to invite. Uh, you just show up. We rented the whole place out. It's going to be an incredible evening to connect in community. Uh, there are uh, hard cider and non-alcoholic beverages available. And again, childcare is, uh, woohoo! I'm pumped about it. All right. So uh, man, just make sure you leverage that evening. It's going to be an incredible opportunity to love and serve our community. Um, we've been in this series called Followers. It's been an incredible journey. And, and I love what God is doing in our church right now. And, and even if you're walking in, man, it's going to be a helpful day today. Uh, but before we get into it, I, I've been having a lot of conversations with neighbors and friends and like at coffee shops. And I, and I have this dialogue a lot, especially when people find out that I'm a pastor, that uh, uh, they say, oh, well, I'm not, I'm not really religious. And most of the time, uh, uh, I, I want to say, me either. <laughs> um, and, and, and part of that is understanding what you mean. I don't know where you're walking in and kind of what your story looks like. But when people say they're not religious, uh, most of the time they are saying, I, I am spiritual. I, I get that kind of tagline a lot as well. And I totally understand where we're coming from. But depending on the individual that's sharing it, like they might have kind of different understandings and definitions of what that means. And so if you've been in Boulder for a minute, you know, like we, we live in a very spiritual climate and a very not religious climate, um, but spirituality has a lot of different veins here in Boulder. And so as Jesus followers, one of the things that we're kind of walking into is like, what does it actually mean? Like when we're considering spirituality and following Jesus, what does that look like? And what's that invitation look like for, for myself and for you in this season of life in 2022 in Boulder, Colorado, my season, my age, my stage, what's going on? And what does it look like for us to step towards that direction? Now, uh, one of the things that's been coming up in my mind as I've been having these conversations, we kind of get into the spiritual zone, um, is that even in the middle of like this post-Christian, you know, secular age that we live in, we have this tendency to, to remove like the idea of original sin, like if your theology, like some people struggle with that, like I don't, you know, one of the issues with the human heart and mankind is like this original sin thing going on. Jesus talked a lot about, and we're like, ah, you know, I don't know if, you know, where I, I stand, and you know, some of my friends are like, I don't know if I believe in that stuff. Um, but what's ironic about those conversations is even if you don't believe in original sin, like we still have like this jacked up part of us that we are trying to deal with. Like, so we don't, we don't have to call it sin, but there's like this stuff that we're dealing with. And one of the things that we have to find a way to deal with it is by blame shifting. So we're really good at that, aren't we? Just me? Okay, cool. Right, we, we blame shift a little bit because we, we have these things going on and we're like, oh, well, it's all the Republicans' fault, right? It's all, it's the, it's the Democrat, no, uh, it, it's, it's Russia's fault. Uh, it's, 
Right, we have blame shifting. It's Obama. Dang it, Obama. Right, like, yes, remember that? Okay, wow. All right, well, I think I'm funny. The, the idea is we have all these problems that, that we're dealing with, and, and we have a tendency to blame shift. Uh, you know, it's, it's my parents' fault. It's my extended family's fault. It's my coworkers' fault. It's my boss's fault. It's the environment I, I live in. And we just have this tendency to look for and blame shift our problems, especially the world's problems, but specifically ours. Now, now, I think if you and I wrestle with it for a minute, everyone showed up in the room, uh, in different spaces, but all of us, I think, can recognize that even though we can blame shift pretty easily, most of our problems are internal rather than external. I mean, it feels good to push it off on the external, but there's still internal things that, that don't seem to be going away. Now, here's what's unique. If you're a Jesus follower, we believe that everyone on the planet is made in the image of God. What that means is that, that regardless of their spiritual journey and where they find themselves on this faith dialogue, they are made with dignity and value and worth, and they are loved and lovable regardless of where they find themselves in relation to Jesus at this moment. But also, with that understanding comes this, this idea that that image has been warped by what Jesus call, talked about as sin. And, and um, so, so there's this desire in all of us, whether we're going to call it sin or just brokenness or whatever, whatever you're comfortable with, to change, right? We want to experience change. And we live in Boulder, and we love altruism. And, and by the way, like, love that we get to make a difference as a church together. We're heavy into it right now with the Marshall Fire Relief. Things are starting to pick up. If you want to be involved in, like, some of the relief efforts happening in our city, most of those are being facilitated through our city groups. It's one of the ways that we can offer, like, individual care to families versus just kind of corporately trying to attack things. And so uh, lots of cool stuff happening in our city consistently. And we're all for altruism, and we believe that, that God is a good God, and, and we want to reflect his generosity and the way that we love the world around us. But again, when we, when we get to like changing, the question is not, do we want to change? But I think most of us, we, we struggle with how to change, right? So I hopped on Amazon this week and just looked at like the top 50 self-help books. Just curious, you know, some of my favorite books are on there. So I was like, okay, that's cool. Some of the most comical were all the ones with profanities in them. Like, I'm like, yeah, I don't even know what that book's about, but I'm going to read it, right? <laughs> like, absolutely. You, you get me, right? But we've all got problems. We're all looking for answers. It's why the, the largest section in Barnes & Noble is going to be the self-help section. But again, the answer is, like, if you're a Jesus follower, the answer to self-help, the answer to change and how we do that is this invitation into what Jesus called discipleship or, or to apprentice under Jesus, to, a, to be with him and to walk with him and eventually become like Jesus. And so we've been kind of talking about this conversation, like what does it mean to follow Jesus? How do we order our lives around this invitation? And specifically, we've looked at it the last couple of weeks, it is literally to be with Jesus, the first invitation. And I don't know where you're walking in on this understanding, but it's not to go to church. It's not to be a good person. It's not don't kill anybody, give a little bit of money, and hopefully you'll go to heaven when you die. That's not the invitation. It's not prayer, prayer, and try to feel good about yourself. It's being with Jesus. The first invitation is into relationship through faith. The second one is becoming like Jesus. That, that we're not just going to stay as we are. And the last thing we talked about last week was doing what Jesus did. So if you've missed some of these conversations, super formational over the last couple of weeks, you can catch them on our YouTube channel, on our podcast, all of that. But now that we've kind of walked through these three paradigms, we're not done yet because the reality is all of us have some transformation to be a part of, right? Regardless of where you are and what you're wrestling with, th th there's this effort to arrange our entire lives around being transformed into the image of Jesus if you're a Jesus follower. And the reality is most of us are not there yet, right? 
No Jesus 2.0 sitting in the room today. And so we all got these, like, we kind of get stuck. I was having some conversations with some friends this week. And, like, in the middle of awesome things happening, you can still get stuck. Isn't that weird? Like, like you can know all the right things, be doing the right things, and all of a sudden you're still stuck in something. You're like a dysfunctional behavior pattern that comes up, and, like, your relationships are just falling apart, or, like, there's dysfunction around money or the way you were raised around, like, like identity, and then all of a sudden, you know, there's this addiction that came back or that you can't break, or, you know, the family of origin issues and, and deep wounds that you don't even know how to touch or get involved in, but they keep coming up, we still get stuck even after we, we've like kind of responded to the invitation to be with Jesus. So again, it's not that we don't want to change. What we're wrestling with over the next couple of weeks is how do we change? So we've been wrestling with this uh, definition by Dallas Willard that uh, has been, I think, formational in this piece. And, and he says it this way, that spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus as we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship with Jesus, our teacher. So we've been talking about the difference between intentional and unintentional spiritual formation. So whether you want to or not, all of us are being formed by the culture around us. We talked about unintentional spiritual formation being the people that we hang out with, the environment that we're in, the habits that we have, the stories that we believe. And the only thing you have to do to be unintentionally formed is to wake up tomorrow. Right? We talked about that the last couple of weeks. But then we presented a new paradigm that was over intentional spiritual formation. We said it looks like this. It's the intersection of teaching that counters the stories that we believe, which is Part of what I'm doing right now, but not, we're going to get to that today. Uh, it's community, the pieces of, of not, not just the people that we like, but choosing to be a part of a bigger community, both for encouragement and growth. And then lastly, practice, actually doing something with what we know, because we all know that what we know doesn't get us where we need to go. I'm a rhymer. I'm a poet. And I did, all right, all right. All right, so today, today we are going to focus primarily on teaching. Oh, next three weeks, we're going to break down this, this intentional spiritual paradigm, okay? And then we're going to focus a little bit on practice because they can't go apart from one another. You guys just like my circles? But mainly, teach a little bit on... That's pretty... Okay, all right. So next week, super pumped. Maddie's going to dive more into practice, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that, like just this, this idea of like, what do I actually do? But today, we're going to focus on teaching. So Jesus, man, was an incredible teacher, Yeah like way better than me, okay? Jesus was awesome, and all of his teaching was set inside the paradigm that he called the kingdom of God. So we're going to talk about that for a second. Mark chapter 1, let me show you this. This is kind of like Jesus' main message over and over again throughout his time on earth before he's murdered and dies for the sins of the world, buried, raises again, that whole thing. Over and over again, he comes back to the central idea. He says, the time has come, the thing you've been waiting for, the thing you didn't even know that you were waiting for. The kingdom of God has come near, which means that you and I are not far. Repent and believe in the good news. And so for Jesus, the central idea, the kingdom of God, this is the idea of like God's rule and reign on earth. That when Jesus taught us to pray uh, on earth as it is in heaven, like in bolder as it is in heaven, uh, one, of my, one of my friends, he defines the kingdom of God as like when Jesus gets his way, just in, like in simple terms, think about your life, when Jesus gets his way, cool WWJD bracelets, right? Like when Jesus gets his way in my life. Now he uses these two words, repent and believe, which like, you know, they carry some... Wait, <laughs> because of some, some less than ideal individuals who like to stand on the street corners and shout words at people, pretending like that's what the love of God looks like. And, and so these, these ideas of repentance kind of 
sometimes doesn't exactly get after, I think, what Jesus was going for. So the, the word repent here, when Jesus is inviting us to understand and, and respond, it is the Greek word metaneo, which means to change literally the way that you think. To, to change and adopt a different worldview. So when Jesus invites us to repent and believe, what he, he's inviting us into is to repent or to change the way we think about life altogether, to agree with Jesus in our thinking and to trust him and to walk in that way. Okay, so that, that's the holistic picture. One commentator said it this way. He said that, that to repent means to change one's way of life as the result of a complete change of thought and attitude regarding sin and righteousness. So, what is Jesus inviting us into? He's inviting us to reimagine our entire lives from the ground up, centered around the kingdom of God. The beginning of transformation for Jesus is reimagining that you and I catch a glimpse of the good life. Is it really true? Can I really trust him? Is his way really a better way? Like even though it goes against the things that I, I feel like I should be doing or like this, I want to do this anyway and I don't know if I agree over here, like is the invitation actually better? And that's what Jesus is inviting us into, to reimagine our lives inside this paradigm of the kingdom of God. So when we're talking about teaching, and specifically, like, when we gather, our weekend's so valuable when we do this, right? It's so intentional. And teaching is aimed at our mind and our imagination. That the whole point of what we do here is to give you a glimpse of the good life that would hopefully stir in your heart and mind a space that, that, wants you, uh, that moves you toward a desire to change. You are, you've been in those moments, right, where you hear just like a compelling speaker or you've been, you know, either reading the Bible or you're listening to something or, you're, you know, something happens inside of you where you get a vision and you're like, man, I want that and it leads you to change. And other times there's things that you know you need to change and then there's still nothing's happening. Like what happens? Part of it is catching a vision, which teaching, again, is orient, oriented around our prefrontal cortex. So super important. Not the only thing, but super important. Teaching, the reason this is so important is because it's counter the stories that we believe, the environments that we live in. Some of them, not all of them are bad, but some of them are incredibly damaging to what God is trying to do in our lives. And so again, teaching, what is it, what's the goal today? My, my goal, man, my prayer for you today is that what we're talking about, it gets into our hearts and our minds, this alt alternate kind of reality, this appealing vision of the kingdom of God for your life, that you'd walk away saying, man, I want that for me. So Paul said it this way in Romans 12 too. He said, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but rather be transformed. That's the word again, right? Spiritual formation, transformation. How does that happen? Be transformed by going to the church and checking boxes, and giving a little bit of money, and not cussing at your spouse. <laughs> yes, check. Oh, not all of us, but some of us, check. It's a joke, okay? It's okay. All right, so be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Interesting. We're going we're to dig into this a little bit more, but he says that in this space, and by the way, this is um, in the active tense, which means that it's constant. It's not like one day I renewed my mind and therefore I am now completely a whole person. This is a continual renewing of my mind over and over again daily to where it gets into my heart and my mind. Then I'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Let me ask you a question. Is everything that God says about your life, does it come across as good and pleasing and perfect to you? Odds are there's some volition in your heart just like there is in mine where we tend to disagree at times with God. 
And what Paul is telling us is there is a transformational process to where eventually we're going to start to find that we actually do agree with God. But it doesn't happen overnight. Okay? So what's amazing for Paul is that he over and over again is focused on the mind. So, so right, we're, we've talked about this. We're whole people. We're not just brains on sticks, but we're also not just our feelings. We're like whole people, and there's a whole spiritual formation. And so for Paul, he's always talking about the mind. And so check it out, 1 Corinthians 2.16. He says this, uh, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we, as followers of Jesus, we have the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. He says it in 2 Corinthians 10.5. These are just examples. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive. You see the aggressive language from Paul? Like, like the mind is a very big deal to obey Jesus. Colossians, he goes on and he says it uh, this way. Set your minds, isn't that funny? Not your feelings, not like a little more umph in the morning, like, well, you know, like a little more willpower. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth. Philippians 4, 7, he says it this way. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understandings, it will guard your hearts. Yeah, there's the feeling part. And your minds. Dang it. <laughs> there it is. In Christ Jesus, over and over again. And these are just examples, okay? The point is, like, the mind is a big deal. Dallas Willard says it this way, and I think this is such a good uh, summary of what we're talking about. The process of spiritual formation in Christ is one of progressively replacing, as in it's constantly active, destructive images and ideas with the images and ideas that filled the mind of Jesus himself. Destructive images. That you and I have patterns of thinking that are actually damaging to our lives. We realize that, right? Like one of the reasons that we have so much dysfunction in our own lives and our relationships is because of destructive patterns of thinking. Spiritual formation in Christ, it moves us toward a total interchange of our, dear, our ideas and images for his. So, in modern terms, this is something called neuroplasticity, okay? And I'm not a doctor, but I read some books, okay? And so, neuroplasticity, or another way to say this, when you think a thought, the easier it is to think that thought again. You guys with me, right? So you think good thoughts, and those thoughts come, keep coming back. You think bad thoughts, and you kind of get stuck in a rut. So, Neurons that, this is an easy way to remember it, okay? Neurons that fire together, wire together, okay? Uh-huh, that's pretty good, yeah? Okay, that's like tattoo-worthy right there. So, so what, what are we saying? I, I want you to imagine your mind is like a jungle, okay? And you're this, I don't know why you're, you're in the jungle, but you're a safari guru, and you're just hacking away with your machete, right? And, uh, and it's a thick, dense jungle, but you're clearing a path, right? And then, for some reason, you stay in the jungle, and that's just your new home. And so after you cleared your path, now you take that same path, right? you got all the jungle and the, and the hardness that is walking through the jungle, and then you've cleared a path. So what happens over time? Eventually, you just start to wear down a, a really uh, well-worn path, and it's easy to take. And then you ever been, like, like kind of driving, and you just, like, ended up at home, and you don't know how you got there? Right? That's neuroplasticity. It's a good thing sometimes. But you ever, like all of a sudden ended like up just deep in the dumps of your own crappy self-thinking and you're and you're like are thinking all the things that you know aren't true but you're still feeling all those things and you're like how did I get here that's called neuroplasticity our mind is wiring past constantly so part of spiritual formation is not just good vibes and and going to church every now and then it's an intentional effort of reshaping my mind so like the other day I was going to the gym and I switched gyms, and me and Daniel were riding together. And like, I passed our gym to go to the old gym, and he's like, where are you going? And I'm like, I have no idea. I was just kind of in autopilot, and I had to re I'm like, oh, I just have such a natural path over there, and now I've got to rewire it. You and I have ways of thinking that are wired into our brains. And here's the point, guys. It takes a ton of time 
to cut a new path. Right? You give your life to Jesus. I gave my life to Jesus at 15. He changed everything. And then there was still a bunch of other stuff still to change. And there is this intentional effort of hacking new paths in our spiritual formation. This is a lie. This is the truth. This is a lie. This is the truth. So how, how do we reshape our minds? Right? That's what we're talking about today. So a couple of just, just some things for you to chew on, okay, today. All things Bible are absolutely helpful in reshaping our mind. Meditation, scripture reading. Well, we, we did a series at the beginning of the year uh, on silence and solitude, like how to do this. We have an entire page on our website dedicated to resources to help you sit in the Bible and it not just bore you to death, okay? The life of Jesus and the New Testament authors and the story of the Old Testament in light of what Jesus accomplished, all of that is reshaping our minds. Big picture reading, small versus meditating, all of it. We've got all those resources for you. And part of the journey has been to you to figure out where you are and what you need. But in addition to that, reading good books. Again, if it takes a ton of time and effort to rewire our thinking, you gotta read a lot of good books. The average male on planet Earth, at least in America, uh, today reads less than one book a year. <laughs> I don't know how you read less than, they like got one effort, they're like, ah, nah, I ain't doing it, right? <laughs> nah, <laughs> right? So, so and, and NPR doesn't count, right? Like, I mean, I guess it counts a little bit, but like, there is something to be said for like picking up a book by an old dead guy and seeing what he has to say, right? Like, so, so reading good books is formational, in growing. So we have tons of helpful resources, partly pointed at where you need to grow. I, I, don't, I wouldn't have you pick up a book that's not helpful for what you're walking through necessarily, but go to our website, tons of resources. Emotionally Healthy Spirituality is a big one that we always push. It's kind of like this front end of like unbaggaging and unburdening all that you think you know, and what, it, what is it actually about? Going on, teaching during a Sunday gathering. Ta-da! You did it. Hey, honestly, I mean, it's a big deal. We, we don't take for granted. There's a lot that happens on a, on a gathering, not just this, but teaching is a big part of it. And it's not just to reform our, our minds, but listen, like God is doing something in and through City Church in Boulder, the West, in the world, and he's forming a community, and you're invited to be a part of that. And it's amazing watching what God do, does, but like, I want you to know that my prayer for you and our staff's goal is that you'd look up in three months and six months and a year, you look back on your life and you're like, holy cow, like I'm not the same person I was three months ago. I'm closer to Jesus than I've ever been. I, I'm more on mission with Jesus. I've had more conversations about my faith than I've ever had, and they weren't weird. Yes. I've served more in my city and made a difference that matters than I ever have. I have deeper and closer relationships. People who love me, love Jesus, don't beat around the bush. Tell me stuff like it is. Tell me the truth when I need to hear it. Give me a good kick in the pants, but also an encouragement. I have those people in my life. That's the goal for you three months, six months, a year from now. But those aren't going to happen to you. Those are something you have to choose. Podcasts are helpful. There's lots of really good, way, way better communicators than I am all over the world. You can pick up a lot of really helpful stuff, right? You, you want to learn about relationships? Then go pick up a podcast by, by you know, some awesome communicator and a pastor in you know, Craig Rochelle Live Church and listen to relation, relationships. That's fine. That's super helpful. I listen to a ton of other people to learn and grow and shape my mind. Picking up a mentor. By the way, city groups are one of the ways that we do this really well, like, like is, is just facilitating an opportunity for a mentor. Um, and if you're struggling to find a mentor and you just can't find one, uh, then there's this really cool thing called a book um, that is kind of like a mentor. Just another plug for books. Okay. And, uh, and lastly, community. Community. Um, again, this is genuinely, guys, listen, I, I don't know. Like in, the, in the world of garage door clickers, like we value relational investment here at City Church. It's one of our values. And consistent transparency kind of pushes us to love you well rather than like just hope that your feelings never get hurt. 
And so, like, you get around real people and real life, and sometimes it's amazing and sometimes it's hard, but the point is you have people in your life that speak truth over you, that can look you in the eyes, that know who you are, and say, this is the truth. That is a lie. You need those people in your life, and you need to be that person for somebody else. But that doesn't happen overnight, does it? It takes a lot of relational equity to have that kind of trust. So that's why city groups are so important. Okay, so teaching. Ta-da! We did it. All right. I would love to just say, let's go home. But that's not how this works because you and I both know that we can't stop here because we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. You cannot think your way into the image of Jesus, can you? It's not enough to learn good things because all of us know plenty of good things and don't do them. Not, not even Jesus things. Just like, dang it, I ate another donut. Like, I knew I shouldn't. Or like, if you've had Danielle's cookies, you understand. Like, those cookies in the lobby, I mean, they are a death trap in, a, in all the right ways. You're like, oh, I just can't have more than two or five, or right? And then you look up, and you're like, they're all zero calorie, right? Like, it's totally fine. You and I can know the truth about something and not do it. We can't just know what it means to follow Jesus. We have to live it. And so there's this disconnect sometimes. We have kind of American, you know, enlightenment, use the brain, and we have the prefrontal cortex effort, but there's also what we learn through our limbic system. And, and there's something to be said for the habits that we are countering. And so again, I, I asked you earlier, have you ever been so deeply moved that you like genuinely were going to change something? Like, like you're, you know, you're reading the Bible, you're in a weekend gathering, you're you know, somewhere and just like something grips you and you're like, this is going to change. And like you're so on it and I mean, you're ready to go. And then by Tuesday, it's all falling apart, right? Why? Because knowing is not enough. Knowing is so important. We've got to rewire the paths in our brains. You can't disconnect it from knowing. But it's not enough. So if teaching is aimed at the mind and imagination, then practice is aimed at the heart. Not the ooey-gooey feeling side of your heart. The center of who you are as a person. So again, how do we change? Through teaching, intentional teaching that counters the stories, but also through practice that counters our habits. So here's how Jesus said it in Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Now, the rest of the story is the opposite, Jesus would say. <laughs> if you don't, if you hear me and don't obey, it's like someone who builds his house in the sand and when life shows up, because it will, and when your girlfriend leaves you or you get that extra you know, bill in the mail or when your health starts to fail or that, that thing at work blows up, he says, man, if, if you're walking with me, if you're hearing and obeying, you're, you're going to make it through. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, but you're going to make it through. But the opposite is also true. If we're not putting these things into practice, then when life hits, we're going to crumble. Knowledge isn't going to be enough. Jesus goes on uh, in Luke 8 and says, My mother and my brothers are, are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. So, so, some of us have been like around kind of traditions and ideas that like following Jesus is not about what you do. Like, I, I don't know what Jesus, you, you've been invited to follow, but, but Jesus had a lot to say about our actions as well as the brother of Jesus. John, John 13, 17 says this, check this out. Now that you know these things, you're blessed if you keep knowing them. <laughs> Memorize them and never do anything about them. <laughs> you're blessed if you do them. James, the brother of Jesus in chapter one, check this out. He says it this way. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like someone who looks at, it, at his face in a mirror 
sees that, you know, broccoli stuck in his teeth, and after looking at himself, goes away and totally forgets that he has broccoli in his teeth, which is totally unacceptable, right? Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. You guys get it? Practice is important. Can we agree? You guys with me on this? That's the whole point. Practice is important. Maddie's going to talk more about this next week, and it's going to be so, so helpful, so don't miss next week. But as, as we're talking about this, I had to merge these two because they are married. What we know and what we do. And so there's three groupings of practices when it comes to following Jesus. We've done a lot of work on this. We did a, a little bit of like how, how to spend time with God daily, silence, solitude, practicing the presence of God, how to read the Bible. We did a little bit of fasting, which was super helpful in that, in that teaching. And again, more stuff is on our website. And more of that will come this year. We talked, last year we talked about like uh, Sabbath and kind of having one day of rest a week. And so there's all these different kind of practices or spiritual disciplines. And so in Jesus, there's like categories. So I don't know where you are, but just so it's on your radar. There's like the spiritual disciplines like prayer and fasting and reading and meditating and things like that. There's like the teachings of Jesus, which, you know, can go into like simplicity or like how to love your neighbor or forgiving or, you know, generosity, things like that. And then there's more like practices based on the ministry and lifestyle of Jesus. That's the list that we talked about last week. That's like loving and serving your neighbor, having meals with people far from God, right? There's all these different categories of practice. And Maddie's going to talk about how each of these categories serve you in different ways, depending on what's going on in your life next week. But again, my question for you simply this morning is what do these practices of Jesus do to us? Because what we do does something to us. Our practices, they counter our habits. Habits, again, they, they are deeper than what our mind knows. They get into us through our limbic system. There's this book called You Are What You Love by James K.A. Smith, and I think he summarizes it so helpfully. So I'm going to invite Daniel to come, and as he, as he comes, I'm going to give you this quote um, from You Are What You Love. He says, because we are what we want, our wants and our longings and our desires are at the core of our identity the wellspring from which our actions and behavior flow. Our wants, they reverberate from our heart to the epicenter of the human person. Macy's is having a sale, guys. It's a joke if you're into shopping. (laughs) Not me, okay? All right, thus, Scripture counsels, above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. You ever had the advice, trust your heart? Terrible, terrible advice. No. He goes on. Discipleship, we might say, following, apprenticing under Jesus is a way to curate your heart, to be attentive to and intentional about what you love. Discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. Jesus' command to follow him is a command to align our loves and longings with his. To want what God wants. To desire what God desires. To hunger and thirst after God and crave a world where he is all in all. A vision encapsulated by the shorthand, the kingdom of God. Isn't that good? Our practices, they, they help us to learn and to point our heart and our longings in the right direction. 
And so these things go hand in hand. Teaching, it counters the stories that shape our thinking. Practices, they counter the habits that shape our desires. So for example, some of you, you love to sing when we gather. You love to worship. It's so important to you. And it's like such a meaningful part of our gathering on a weekend. Others of you, singing makes you very uncomfortable, especially if you can hear yourself <laughs> or the person next to you. If they can hear you, it's even worse, right? You're like, ooh. And, and, and some of us, right, we're so white, we just don't know how to clap, right? And so Daniel and, I, and we're like, I don't know what to do. And, and, and I need you to understand our habits, they're doing something to us. Some of you, man, community is such a struggle to be just transparent and involved and show up consistently, or even showing up today. Our habits, they're doing something to us even if we can't see it. So don't underestimate what God is doing through you just showing up at a city group, through you showing up at a gathering, through you choosing to sing even though it's comfortable. That is doing something to you. Our habits, they shape our desires. That's why one of Danielle's cookies is not enough because we long for what we love. Jesus said it this way, if you love me, you'll obey me. Not you earn my love through obedience, but love actually pushes you toward obedience. You live for what you love. So it's, it's why shopping, like, like if that's the thing for you, the more you shop, what happens? The more you wanna shop. You gotta get some new kicks to match the new jeans and the jacket that you just got with that hat and that necklace and oh, now you need a new undershirt. The more shopping you do, the more you want to shop. The more french fries you eat, the more you want to eat french fries. <laughs> the more Netflix you watch, the more you need to binge. The more YouTube you pick up, the more that's your knee jerk. The more porn you watch, the more you want to watch it. The more you mess around with your boyfriend or girlfriend, the more you want to do that. The, the more that you, you excessively drink and turn to substance abuse, the more you want to do that. And the opposite is also true. Our habits reinforce good and bad. Here's what this means. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, to seek first command. Seek first, your first attention when you wake up, your first priority throughout your day, to seek first the kingdom of God. That should be our first, why does he give us that command? What he's telling you and I is you have volition. You have a choice. You get to choose. You can let your habits shape you and your environment happen to you, or you can be intentional about your spiritual, spiritual formation. So here's my challenge for us this week. I want you to take an audit of your life. And if you're taking notes, just, just kind of write these things down briefly. I want you to take an audit of your life. And here's what it's going to look like. You're going to write down all the habits and practices, good, bad, ugly, you name it, Write them all down, the things that make up your life. Just kind of look at your day in a glance, your week in a glance. What are the habits and practices that make up your life today? Follower of Jesus or not, you can do this. Number two, I want you to ask this question after you've kind of formed that list. What is this doing to me? I'll be honest with you. Just last week, Danielle and I were having a conversation, and, and I decided to just kind of remove Netflix and watching things altogether. Not because there's anything wrong with that, but, but there was something it was doing to me. Some of the shows weren't, weren't great for my mind. Some of it was actually causing tension in our relationship because of the way the character dynamics were playing out. Some of it was cultivating lust in my heart, which is not something I want. 
And so I looked at my, I was just evaluating my practices and say, you know what, we're going to remove that. But if you know anything about habits, we did a series on this last week. It's not enough just to like remove something. You have to replace it. It's part of, part of, of the effectiveness of, of working on our habits. And so then the last thing is this. Pick one thing that's damaging to you and replace it with a practice from Jesus that's life-giving. So in this season, on a regular basis, I'm, I'm not, you know, picking up Netflix on a, on a midweek, even though I'm tired and I would love to veg out. I'm going to pick up a book instead. I'm going to read what it means to be an intentional father and how to cultivate a healthier marriage and whatever else God tells me to pick up, right? Like, what is it for you? So that's, that's, that's the idea this week, okay? Again, listen, gathering is key. Community is key. Practicing is key, but it's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you. As you bow your heads and close your eyes with me, I just want you to take a moment of just personal response and reflection. No one's looking around the room, just so you have kind of like the space to be present where you are. To ask the question, what's forming me? Who am I becoming? And then asking God specifically, what needs to change? What do I need to replace? What are you doing? And as you're just sitting there in the moment, kind of looking at your own life, taking an audit, maybe you're in the room and you're kind of wrestling with faith and what it means to follow Jesus. And I just want to be very clear right now in this moment of privacy and, and stillness that the invitation is not to change for Jesus so he loves you. The invitation is that Jesus already loves you. And he proved it by giving his perfect sinless life in our place on the cross for our sins. He died the death that we deserve. He was buried. And three days later, he rose from the grave, punctuating that he was who he said he was, that he can indeed do in your life what he said he would do to forgive us of sin, to adopt us into the family of God, and to make us new. So I don't know what you're wrestling with this morning, but if you have never responded to the invitation of Jesus to trust in him, no work of your own, but that he has done all the work for you to forgive you and make you right with God, that's what it means to be with Jesus. And from there, he rewires our hearts and our minds and our desires and our longings and our loves. It's not about performance. but it's about what Jesus has done for you. And so if you've never made a decision to trust in Jesus with your own life, I just want to invite you to do that today. In your own heart and mind, he can pray, hear your prayers just fine. Jesus, I believe you died for me. I need you to forgive me. I want to follow you. However you would pray that prayer this morning, I want you to have confidence that if you take that step, heaven is rejoicing and so are we with you. And we're here to walk through that journey with you. For others of us in the room, our lives are complicated. There's a lot going on, probably a lot that needs to change, a lot happening to us, a lot out of our control. But we sang a song earlier that Jesus is the one who said he'll never leave us or forsake us. So I just want to encourage you to take whatever you're walking in with today and, and just turn to him. Jesus, I pray over our church. I pray over this gathering. I'm grateful for them. I pray that you give them a vision 
for the life that you have for them. It's not always easy, but it's 100% better. Would you allow us to rewire our brains to think like you think, to desire what you desire? God, will we not find ourselves feeling con- convicted in a, in a, in a, in a way that, that is full of shame and guilt, but rather from a good dad who loves us, who longs for a better life? Jesus, we want to trust in you. So we're going to respond now in worship. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.